Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit PhotographersEdit.com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, welcome back uh, to yet another episode. And I am privileged, actually, to have... Man, I've, I've known Jason Group for such a long time. <laughs> Jason, thanks for hanging out with me today on the Boca Podcast. Yeah, dude. I, I uh, God, I was thinking about it today. And I was saying to my wife this morning when we got up, I'm like, I'm, I'm going on Nathan Holwerts's, uh podcast. And she's like, oh my God, I haven't heard that name in a long time. <laughs> If I remember right, I stayed at your place. Yes. Like I don't know what was it ten years ago, twelve years ago. It was at least ten years ago. It was like when we first bought our house in New Jersey. Yeah. So and you and that's what she remembered. She was like, "Wait, was that the guy we locked in the basement by accident?" I was Pretty like, no, much. That was Frank. <laughs> oh. <okay. laughs> I did stay in the basement though. I think that's funny. I hadn't I hadn't even thought about that in a little while. And I was actually looking at our our Facebook Messenger history, and we had some messages going back to two thousand nine. And then I know I knew okay. before then too. So yeah, a lot of history. And, and I mean, that's largely what our conversation is going to revolve around today is not only your history in the industry, but then ultimately what you've learned from that. And I think, I mean, in life, uh, I think perspective is such a big component to living a good life, developing a perspective, and we can learn from others' perspectives. And the perspective you've developed through all the various experiences that you've had in 20 plus years in the industry, I think is going to be a fascinating one to dig into. So we're going to do that in just a little bit. By the way, I have to say too, speaking of Facebook Messenger, I love that you just gave me a shout out and you're like, dude, why haven't you had me on the podcast yet? And uh, <laughs> so we're making it happen. We actually made it happen really quickly and I'm stoked to do this. But you know, something that I haven't seen in a little while is you having your shingle up as a photographer. You're in the St. Louis market now. Um, yep. And something we talk a lot about here on the podcast is brand position, because I don't think it's discussed enough in the industry. For those of you listening in who aren't really familiar with the concept, it very simply is the unique value proposition with emphasis on unique that you bring to your market. And and, and looking at it in a different way, this is the position that your brand holds in the mind of somebody who hears your name. So when when the name of your business pops up, this is the idea that pops in the head. You're, they'll be like, oh, that's the photographer that does you know, fill in the blank. So with that context, Jason, in the St. Louis market, what is your business's brand position? So in, in a few seconds, it's uh, the city of St. Louis portrait photographer with expertise in finding the best iconic locations for your family. Wow. Okay. And, and there's actually a, a photo that reflects this idea too. If everybody listening in, if you go just very simply to Jason Group, G-R-O-U-P-P.com, the homepage, beautiful image actually with the arch and what I'm assuming is a family there underneath the arch. That's a really cool shot. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I, I've taken, I've taken the idea of what I used to do with my I Heart New York sessions in New York city, which was kind of creating these iconic uh, locations in New York and, you know, 
St. Louis is a great city and, you know, there's so many iconic places here. And if you lived here a little while, I mean, St. Louis is, you know, from my perspective is not a super well-known city, but there are so many great places here. And uh, when I made the decision to be, uh, to just do family pictures, I wanted to take that same approach. Well, and the other thing that I'm noticing on the homepage of your site that really stood out to me when we talk about this idea of a brand position, a lot of times I emphasize the importance of brevity, simplicity, um, being concise in the communication of that brand position. Because you ask you ask photographers what their brand represents, and sometimes it's like paragraphs of information. And <laughs> we all know in a noisy 2019 world, people get lost and distracted if you go on for more than you know three seconds. So you've got a little tagline there on the homepage of your site, which is very simply, family photos made easy. Talk to me a little bit about what that means. You know, I, I made the decision when I when I was going to start shooting again. The first thing was my wife made me beg me that I would not become a wedding photographer again. She didn't want to be a wedding <laughs> widow again. Okay, and so and I'm torn about that because I do miss shooting weddings. But yeah. I decided to do families because you know I'm I'm in it, kind of in that world now. I have a 10 and a 12 year old, and you know everything's centered around doing stuff with the kids and, you know, family pictures are a really important thing to us. And I, I honestly, I just felt like there was every, every photographer here in St. Louis does family pictures, but nobody was specializing in just doing family pictures as far as I could tell. And nobody was really kind of owning, you know, iconic locations, even though they were all doing it in, in, in different places. So, you know, that was kind of my thought process that, you know, I wanted to do something and, um, you know, I know how much of a pain in the neck getting your family picture is. So right. I wanted to create something that might resonate with other, other parents, yep. which is, you know, make it easy. So that was kind of my thing is that's all we do is family pictures and we're going to make it super easy for you. And so you spoke to two things there, which are interesting to me. One, you talked about the idea of owning the space. And this is uh, really important, actually, as a concept when it comes to brand position and ultimately a marketing effort. Uh, if if you, the listener, as a photographer, are saying essentially the same thing that 20 other photographers are saying, uh, whether that's on your website or in a Facebook ad or in conversation with somebody at a networking meeting, it's all just going to run together and then you just become another photographer. It's important that you find a space or a niche in that market that you can own, as Jason's saying. And what that means is, even if you're not the only one doing it, you're the first one to come out or the primary individual coming out and saying, this is what I do. And everything that you do revolves around that. So when Jason says owning the space, uh, I think that's really important to keep in mind the significance of that concept. The other thing is, um, we're talking about family photos made easy. It'd be one thing, Jason, I, I, and I, I don't, you don't strike me as somebody who would do this anyway, but a trend has, has kind of come, spread across the industry, if you will, in the last few years for photographers to just spend a lot of time talking about themselves when you get to a photographer's website. And the first thing that you do instead of talking about yourself is talk about how you add value to the potential client's life. They want family photos, not only that, you know how stressful those family photos can be. So you say, you know what? Not only are we going to give you great family photos and, and an iconic location, but we're going, to, we're going to make it really, really easy for you. And immediately, I think that that is a massive value add to the potential client. And I love that you highlight that. Yeah. And I, and I plan on spending a lot of time this year, you know, kind of advertising that, that value proposition. And, you know, and I know we'll get to it, but, you know, I've had the advantage of, 
of, of being around so many different photographers and so many talented people and, you know, being able to draw off of their experiences and expertise has definitely helped me. And uh, when I went to relaunch this business, um, some of my good friends said, don't worry, um, launching a, your photography business a second time is not as hard as the first time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I definitely feel like I, I've been able to, you know, draw from that a little bit. But, you know, I'm a big specialist guy and I always have been in, in all aspects of my career. And, you know, I believe that, you know, if you, you can make plenty of money doing one thing and being really good at it, it's just a matter of, of finding those things. And we all want to be a lot of different things, but really, you know, finding, you know, those things like I hate shooting in the studio. I don't ever want to shoot in the studio. Yeah. So this is a big part of that, you know, and so identifying those different things. So it's a lot easier for me this time. You know, I love St. Louis. I love exploring new locations. I'm a family guy and, you know, cause I'm around kids a lot now. I'm, I'm work with them a lot better than I did before I had kids. <laughs> and, you know, I know it's, I know it's a state of a 10 year old, you know, because I have one, yeah. you know, so, you know, I'm using those, those unique things that I have and I'm a little bit older. So um, I find that, uh, you know, I'm an older dad versus, you know, a super young parent. So I find that they listen to me a little bit more too. So I try and use those things to my advantage. Well, you sp- spoke about being a family guy. Um, so this is a great segue to my next question, which has to do with time. Uh, so much of what we talk about here on the podcast centers around this idea because, you know, I, at least for me personally, way I didn't start a business to work 80 hours a week. I, I wanted to have some freedom, some flexibility. I want to actually leverage that as an idea in my life and do more than just work. You've got kids and, and I mean, the idea of work ultimately keeping you from being able to be a good dad and to be a good husband. I know that's, that's something that you're cognizant of or not wanting to allow to happen. So is there something that you do proactively that enables you to have the space both for work, but then also for family and the other important people in your life? Yeah. I mean, there's two things. Um, one, I know eating until the work I've laid out for myself is done. So that's my incentive. Really? Okay. Uh, so no lunch, no lunch in the morning. So I, I'm, a, I'm more of a morning person than an evening person. Okay. So I get most of my work done between when the kids leave for school and lunchtime. Like that's, wow. that's, that's my jam. Okay. So it's those four hours between eight and, and noon that I'm really focused on, on drinking coffee and, and working. And it's when I'm most productive. So again, I, I've recognized that that's the time I get, I get stuff done and that that's my main, you know, thing. And, and I just try and get as much done in those four hours as I possibly can. Yeah. And then I'll have a couple of hours after lunch. And then I just, you know, once the kids get home and, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, my wife has a full-time job as well and she works full-time. Um, she works at home. She, so we're both home during the day. We're both, uh, uh, stay at home people. Wow. And, you know, we're fortunate that we, you know, have enough space in our, in our new home that we don't even see each other during the day and, and we can get stuff done. And it's, it's great. Yeah. But with the kids, you know, now that her job is, is, she, you know, is on the phone a lot during the day. I'm kind of the 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 go-to person for when a kid gets sick or forgot something at school uh-huh. or okay. you know the guy who's dropping their you know, my kids are doing tons of sports now so I'm I'm you know the the taxi to all of that so <laughs> I have to get my work done between eight eight and you know three o'clock the, my incentive is to get it done then but whatever gets done at three o'clock I just shut it off I I don't you know I just I want to be there to be part of their lives whether it's 
Eli's football or, or Phoebe's winter guard or whatever it is. Um, I've just learned that it, 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 if it's important between three and seven o'clock, it doesn't, it's not that important. It can be answered at eight o'clock at night after the kids go to bed or, or at that point, or more importantly, just eight o'clock the next morning. So I just, I just, I just shut it off because, and, and, and I just recognize the fact that they're only going to be 10 for so long. They're only going to be 12 for so long. Yeah. And really fortunate that I enjoy it. It's one of the reasons that I moved out here in the first place was because commuting in New York City and having a 12-hour work day was literally killing me. Mm. So um, now I just, because I have that perspective, uh, I love every minute of it. And I love just being the dad who's talking with, you know, all the parents on the sidelines and being involved and, you know, being the snack guy. I love it. <laughs> when you talk about being the, the parent on the sideline, I mean, when I think of you, especially in the context of <laughs> photography, I, you're, you're such a great conversationalist. Like you're, you're the guy who you'd want to kind of scoot up next to on the sideline and, you know, maybe bring a beer along or something and, and just have a conversation. You're really, really great at that. Um, it, it's that, it's that conversational ability. I mean, I know it's benefited you, you significantly over your career. And again, we'll talk about that in just a bit, but is that something that you were good at from the get go? Is that something you've developed over time? I've always been that friendly guy that loves to talk to everybody. I mean, when we moved out here, we knew nobody and we've made so many friends and, you know, like last night, the kids had a, a holiday show. Yeah. And we sat down, we got there early so we could get good seats because my son had a pretty good part in the play. And you know, Liz was laughing at me because she's like, gosh, you know, everybody. <laughs> and we've only been here. We've only, this was only the second or third play. And, and, you know, I've gotten involved with like, there's a, there's a, there's a dad's group that meets once a month and we have beers at a bar and we, just, we do some volunteer stuff. But, you know, I, I, we've immersed ourselves in the community. Community is such a big thing for me. It, just in general. So hmm. it doesn't matter whether it's photography community or my kids community. And, you know, so, you know, we're full immersion kind of people, but no, cool. I love it. I love, it doesn't matter the kinds, I love talking to people. It doesn't matter if it's the, you know, the football dads who are very, you know, Missouri football is definitely a, a, a different breed. <laughs> yeah. Hardcore. You know, we pull into the parking lot and I got my little mini and the entire parking lot is filled with uh, uh, pickup truck. <laughs> so, you know, I stick, I still stick out like a sore thumb, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I love, I love talking with the dads and, and the moms and it's, you know, I, I, I get a lot out. I am an extrovert. I'm not an introvert. So I get a lot out of, you know, being around people. Are you showing up to the football games with your, your um, bow tie? I mean, you were kind of famous for wearing the bow tie mm -hmm. to the WPPI events. I, does that fly there in, in that area? Not so much in the, in the football world. It's funny, <laughs> some of the dads who, who I friend on, on Facebook, you know, they'll wind up like stalking me later and they'll be like, you are not the guy that I see, on, <laughs> you know, dropping your son over football. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, Literally, I've uh, had I, yourself, and then uh, actually yesterday I interviewed Benjamin Davis, who's a cinematographer out of New Jersey, actually, and and he also yeah. loves bow ties. Like when I when I see him at a conference, he's wearing bow ties. So two days in a row, bow tie fans. I think that's great. But nice. you were talking about something earlier, which is it really grabbed my attention, and that is that you you said you tend to try to get the majority of your work done in the first four hours of the day, and I've had a theory for some time now, having been a wedding photographer myself and then being able to kind of step back from that and, 
and kind of see from the outside as well that at least for wedding photographers, potentially portrait photographers as well, that, that you could run a business if, if you're intelligent about it, if you're proactive about it, if you're um, if you actually have a strategy in place, you could run a business on 20, 25 hours of work a week. Do you think that that is realistic? Absolutely. I mean, it, it totally is. And um, it shouldn't take any more than that. I, honestly, like, you know, everything that's important can get done. And it's really about preparation for those four hours. Yeah, it, it really is. And and so like the one thing that I'll do every night when I get when we Liz and I settle down for the night is, you know, I'll prepare my my work list for the next day. And it's just a it's just a quick checklist, you know, what exactly am I doing? And sometimes I'll, you know, work on that stuff when I know I'm not going to get it done in those four hours and I'll uh, and it's just a running list of, you know, make sure you get this stuff done. That's cool. And, and you talking about planning. This is something as organized and as structured and as nerdy as I can be when it comes to task and project management and workflow and so forth. One of the things that I still, it's a weakness of mine is, is planning. Um, this holds true in my personal life. It holds true in, in business. And I'm realizing more and more the significance of it, and especially for the sake of efficiency. And so I love that you point that out, that the significance of even if it, you're planning for something as short as a four-hour time frame. If you know ahead of time what you're going to work on, it helps kind of filter out the rest of the BS and and the distractions. You can focus on what actually matters for the sake of moving your business forward and and then call it a day. I think that's brilliant. Well, I mean, you can spend the first half hour deciding what you want to do if you don't do it before you sit down. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Do you usually do that planning at, at the end of the previous day? When do you normally do that? So... The tasks that I usually need to get done are, are, you know, it's usually the same mundane things, but generally I find it's the stuff that I forget to do pops in my head when I'm taking my kids to practice. Like, oh God, I got to do that. Yeah. And I got to do that. So it's preparing myself to be like, as soon as I drop, get Eli's, because uh, I, I like to sit well, during football season, he's my, I'm his equipment manager. Nice. So as soon as I get his pads on, yeah. as soon as I get his pads on, I, you know, pull out my phone and, you know, write it down at that moment. So it's really about like, is, uh, you're so, as parents, you're so scattered all the time. Yeah. So um, it's really just making sure that you write this stuff down um, immediately so that I can just to that list when I sit down in the evening. Yeah, you talk about being scattered as a parent. So my kids, I'm a single dad and, and my parents are with, or my parents, my kids, speaking of scattered brain, my kids are with me for you know 95% of the time. And yesterday I was supposed to pick up my daughter and school is out for the kids already for the, for the Christmas break. And um, she was staying at a friend's house. And my son happened to remind me that I needed to go pick up my daughter because I had already forgotten. And then on top of that, instead of going to my daughter's friend's house, I showed up at her school and I'm like, and I'm like, where, where are you? And of course she was at her friend's house. So <laughs> like, man, I have, I got to get my, my stuff together. But, um, I, I feel yeah. your pain there. It's interesting though. you talk about writing. So something pops into our heads and this is something I'm sure that a lot of entrepreneurs and photographers can relate to. You're, you're doing some random task and, and it's interesting how our brain works, but an idea pops into our head or something that we need to get done pops into our head. You mentioned writing it down. Do you just use a notes app or do you have a task and project management system that you utilize? What does that look like? Uh, I mean, it's usually either, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the app. It's a list app. I think it's Tada. Okay. Sometimes I use that or sometimes I just use Google Docs. Actually, just lately, I've just been using just, I'll just create a, a list, you know, on Google Docs because I'm always accessing that 
app yeah. on my phone and it just everything syncs so like Google Docs and Sheets and all that Google stuff is just so great. Okay. They're all amazing. Well, I think at the end of the day, what matters is it's not about being fancy and, and I'm kind of reading between the lines there, but that seems to be what you're alluding to, Jason. It's, it's just having a place to put it. It does sync. You have access to it anywhere. And I think this is a good principle for all of our listeners to remember is that just have a place when that thing comes to mind that you put it, you write it down, you jot it down. I use a, a task and project manager called Todoist, and it's got something that kind of based around the idea that a guy named David Allen came up with called getting things done, but it's got an inbox and anything that, that comes to mind, you just dump into the inbox and then you can organize it into the lists and give it due dates and all that kind of thing later on. But having a place to, to unload that so you don't have to try to keep track of it, likely you'll forget it anyway. Uh, I think that's really important. And so I'm glad that you bring that principle up. That's cool. So talk to me about, uh, and, and man, I'm sure this could be a wide ranging conversation in and of itself, but an impactful business or self-help book that's made a really big impact on your life in the last few years. Anything by Seth Godin, I love, and anything. He, you know, puts content out daily. He has been by far the person who has lasted the test of time for yeah. me. Because there's there's so many of them, you know, like, yeah, I loved Gary Vee for a long time, but I kind of feel like he's just regurgitating the same stuff over and over again. And I feel like he's yelling at me now versus being supportive. <laughs> and that's coming from the New Yorker perspective. So you can ima- I can't imagine how the rest of the world feels about that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Seth Godin, Seth Godin for sure. I, there's so much that, and I've enjoyed Seth over the years as well. There's so much that I could learn from him from a marketing standpoint. Uh, right now, the thing that I'm particularly cognizant of is my tendency, whether as a host um, or maybe in some cases in writing copy of just being too wordy. As much as I enjoy the idea of simplicity or minimalism, I tend to to ramble on a little bit too much sometimes. He has this way of being able to communicate so concisely, to be able to get to give so much value with so few words. And I think that's just so, so unusual these days. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I have the podcast. So I listen to the Fizzle Show a lot, which I really like. Okay. Uh, and uh, Donald Miller's story brand is really good. Yes. Yeah. And so good. I can't recommend that book enough. For anybody who's not read that, if you're listening in, we'll link to it in the show notes, along with all these other resources that Jason's mentioning, Seth's blog, et cetera. Um, but yeah, that, that book is just killer. I, it's business books and you probably know this, Jason, I mean, they, they tend to just also be extremely wordy at 75, 80% fluff and then a little mm-hmm. bit of good. And his book was just so rich with so much practical, actionable information. Um, and in fact, we're actually in the process right now of, of repositioning photographers edit for the 2020 year and using the principle or principles that he describes in that book in that process. It's just really, really great stuff. So we'll link to that in the show notes for everybody. Um, Talk to me about the camera, the photography side of things. I'm actually really curious about this for you. Something unusual in your camera bag, um, not necessarily a camera or lens that enables you to be a better (laughs) photographer. Um, I I love my shoot sack. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Okay, I think I might be the last man standing. That's no, but first of all, of course, this is this is very um, in Japanese. They would say natsukashi or nostalgic. It, this is a throwback because um, when Jason and I were actively shooting, Shootsack was a brand that popped up. Uh, our friend Jessica Claire put together this brand and started selling these bags, and they they just took off. It was they were doing really really well, and yeah. and occasionally I hear the name pop up. Somebody's using it, but that's really awesome. 
Yeah, my friend uh, Jason De- uh, Dominguez like called me out on it. I, I don't know. Somebody took a picture of me. I think my daughter assists me on a lot of these family shoots, which is amazing, by the way. Yeah. And my friend was like, I, I can't believe you're you're still using that shoot sack. And I was like, I, I, I love my shoot sack. So it's kind of become a funny thing that that, that I use. And, and nobody makes anything like it. I, can't, I don't understand why. It's, I think it's the most useful uh, tool um, for me just because it it. it it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a big man purse. It, it is. And, and it's flexible and it doesn't yeah. take up a lot of space if you have to roll it up and pack it somewhere. For anybody who's curious and has never heard of it before, it's the shoot, S-H-O-O-T and then S-A-C, shootsack.com. We'll link to it in the show notes. Well, um, let's get to kind of the meat of our conversation. And, and, um, and we've already alluded to the fact that you've been in the industry for a little while. Maybe you can just briefly walk our listeners through that timeline. And by the way, why this, this story even matters is because... Again, the perspective that I'm really craving to hear from Jason, from his experience in the industry, it comes from all these experiences from this narrative. So Jason, I'll let you just kind of take the floor here and share a little bit of where you've come from. Sure. So God, I hate this part of, of any of these interviews because, <laughs> you know, I, I'm I, so, you know, I, uh, I'll be 51 in January. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. And, you know, I'm starting to feel my age a little bit in, in the industry. I've been around a long time. And, you know, I'm, I think I'm unique to a lot of people in the industry because I started shooting when I was 17 years old. And when I say shooting, I shot my first wedding when I was 17 years old. So, you know, I've been doing it a long time and I've had a really, really wonderful career over the years. And I've done a lot of different things, everything from, you know, I started shooting weddings in high school. And during that time, you know, when I graduated, I went to, I went to, I went to FIT in New York City okay. for fashion photography. And then after that, I worked with fashion photographers. And then I worked in the commercial world. I had full-time jobs shooting catalogs to full-time jobs. I, I was a full-time photographer at Conair and Cuisinart for a couple of years. Um, and during that time, I always shot weddings. So I, I had a whole, like two careers going at the same time in the early part of my career. And then the wedding photographer that I had worked for for many years, um, got cancer and died pretty quickly and the business closed and um, his wife, you know, just one afternoon, probably a year after the business had closed up and I hadn't heard from her and said, I'm disconnecting the phone. Would you like me to forward the calls to your business? Cause you're the only photographer out of the, the galley of photographers. You're the only full-time guy. And I was like, okay, sure. And, And literally that's how my business and wedding started. And, and, I started getting phone calls and and like, I love to tell the story of um, one of the first phone calls I got was from a woman who was thinking she was calling Stephen Bass, who was the photographer. And in talking to her, I said, well, Stephen passed away. Oh my God, that's so sad. And I'm talking to her for a few minutes and she says, oh my God, are you, are you, is your name, your name is Jason, right? And I said, yeah. She says, oh my God, you shot my bat mitzvah. Whoa. And so she was like 21 years old or 22 years old. And I had shot her, you know, 10 years earlier. So that's kind of how I got started and, and, you know, kind of took some of his business and, and, um, um, was getting lots of calls and and I really blew an opportunity as I was totally unprepared, but I made a decision about a year after to just shoot weddings full time. And then I opened a studio in in Chelsea, which I ran for another 15 years. Um, And I did both commercial work and wedding photography. And then I started, you know, getting involved in teaching in the industry, you know, WPPI and and PPA and and a lot of smaller things. And 
um, PhotoPlus in New York. Uh, and I was very friendly with the crew that, that ran PhotoPlus and then had bought WPPI. And just with a lot of conversations, I got very lucky being the right place at the right time. As some people would say, 90% of success is just showing up. Yeah. Uh, as as a New York story, that's kind of how I wound up at uh, PPI, and and uh, they offered me a job, and and I did that for five years. We could talk a little bit about that if you want for separately, sure. and then uh, I took a job working for Firefly Song Freedom out here in St. Louis, and we moved our family out here just about two years ago from being a born and bred New Yorker, and that was two years of of interesting working. And um, I've moved on from that. And now I'm back to shooting again and working on some other stuff that I'm excited. I can't talk about it right now. Oh, top secret. <laughs> I could talk a little bit about it. But, you know, in, 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 in leaving Song Freedom, one of the biggest things from leaving WPPI, I realized was that I, as much as I loved the job, um, I missed being in live events and working in the community so much from almost the moment I left. Uh, and it's been an interesting journey um, for the last couple of years leading up to now. Um, and that's kind of what I've been working on. So that that's my history. A photographer and work for WPPI, uh, had some amazing experiences, a job of a lifetime, and uh, now back to um, doing other stuff. And, and there's so many different directions that we could go. Just, I mean, looking at the timeline, I still remember what's it, the Chelsea studio that you used to host the, some of the parties yeah. like post or pre uh, photo plus yeah. those, those parties there. That yeah. was, that was a good time for sure. Oh, I miss that studio so much. And it, it, it provided so many wonderful years. I was again, really lucky. I'd been working for a photographer who had the studio downstairs and, uh, had been looking for a studio, never thought that I could ever afford a studio in New York City. And lo and behold, there was a bulletin board by the elevator that said, looking for a studio share. It was literally uh, upstairs. And uh, the guy wanted a very reasonable amount of rent and I just jumped on it. Yeah. And five years later, he moved out and um, I stayed in there for 15 years. And I loved, it was just such a great space. And I went from, you know, it was not a great neighborhood when we first moved in to just, you know, Annie Leibovitz was across the street. Yeah. I remember, I remember when you guys told me that and I was kind of starstruck and walking out. I'm like, oh, she's like, she photographs in that building over there. (laughs) You could look into the studio. It was amazing. Yeah. That's wild. Okay. But then WPPI, um, and and we're going to get to, again, I'm, I'm so curious about your perspective gained through yeah, I mean, for what amounts to 30 plus years, it's, it's so much experience and, uh, what that would mean as far as perspective, it's just gotta be fascinating. But WPPI, I remember when you got the gig and I think maybe when I first heard that you had the first time I saw you, it was kind of a, a congratulations conversation. Um, but then seeing you in times after that, I just remember this sense of exhaustion, um, kind of yeah. being a, a theme. I can only imagine the amount of stress that was innate to that that job and and I wonder if maybe part of that too I'm curious to get your perspective on this had to do with just you've got this overarching perspective on the industry as a whole I mean it's the largest trade show in the states and so many people associated with it celebrities and non alike and you get you see and hear so much was that was that in and of itself a huge weight I mean it was I mean, the most important thing that I wanted to do was just make the show better. And 
build the community and, you know, help photographers. So, I mean, that, that was the really like the blessing with the job, but there was, you're, you're right. I mean, every time I saw you, I was, especially at the show, I was exhausted and the weeks leading up to it were, were, were exhausting because, um, you know, I, I, you know, they hired me as, as somebody as that I need somebody to talk to somebody to PPI. And I was that guy. And it was, it was, it was wonderful. Like it was just so great to be able to talk and, and help so many people. Um, you know, but at the same time, I was also struggling with a corporation who was also trying to make money mm. doing the job as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a, it, the job from an industry perspective, I say like working with photographers and vendors in the industry and, and helping them to be part of the show was the best part of the job. It was, it was absolutely like outward facing and being that face and, and helping in that sense was, was the best part of the job. It was the, it, there was no break for me because I had that part of the job. And then there was the corporate side of it that I had to deal with, which was answering to, you know, answering to my bosses and, you know, being part of things that, you know, were just like not fun stuff. Hmm. And, you know, again, for the photographers out there who have been creative people their whole lives, you know, the transition of going from my own studio where I made my own hours to, you know, working in a corporate office space and working with people that just know, no, don't know anything different than being in a, it was, it was fish out of water for me. So it took me, it took me a year easy to just kind of fit into that space and uh, it, it was difficult. So I was, I was always being challenged with two forces at the same time. It was all my friends and then my job all the time. Yeah, and all the time, it seems to be like the key phrase right there. Because yeah, I can imagine, especially walking around the trade show floor, it's like, Jason, Jason, J-. I mean, like your name is echoing constantly all day long for, what is it, like a week and a half, the WPPI yeah. is going yeah. on. Yeah, I can only imagine. And that part was great. But the problem was, is that I would be tasked to do a million other things that I didn't want to do when I was there. So, you know, it, it just it just was really hard. And I never tried to you know, the, I, I tried to enjoy every minute of it, which is why I think I was so exhausted at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, you transitioned from that to song freedom, you mentioned, and you had a, a marketing role there, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I've always, even as a photographer, I like to think of myself as a pretty decent marketer. Um, it was a big part of my role at WPPI because I had a very, like, when I, when they hired me, it was really to produce the conference, but uh, I kind of overarched into a lot of different places, including the marketing department. So I did get to sp- spend a lot of time, um, you know, learning that craft a little bit. And and yeah, with Song Freedom, one of the reasons I, that I decided to take the job was to to go work back in a smaller business. And yeah, I was the CMO of the company. What What would you say? And maybe this ties into my next question about kind of the biggest lessons that you've learned over the last you know twenty thirty years. What What would you say is the biggest lesson from a marketing standpoint specifically that you've learned while you're there? Because I'm sure I mean you brought a lot of experience to to bear as because of being a photographer, running your own business, being involved in WPPI, and being the process of promoting that. Um, did you did you feel like you learned key ideas associated with the, with marketing when you were there at Song Freedom? Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 advantage that I think I had with WPPI in the corporate office, and then you know, working for a small business that marketed to photographers and filmmakers was that, 
you know, I understand their voice because I am a photographer and, you know, so I know how to speak to that. So I always felt like, you know, if, as long as I was authentic about what I was trying to sell, whether it be WPPI or song freedom, that was, it's just, just being, you know, authentic about it and trying to come up with a message that is, is as clear as possible is there needs to be clarity in, in any kind of marketing message. So for me, it was that. And then, you know, trying to, trying to find a way to market in today's in general is it's, it's hard out there. Yeah, man. There's a lot of noise. It's, it's hard. There's a lot of noise. And I think more than ever from a marketing standpoint, you know, there was a, there was a wild west of Facebook for a long time and it's over. Mm. And I think we're really going into some challenging times from, from a marketing standpoint. I mean, nothing has changed as far as if you can organically get something out there that people are talking about, nothing changes. But Facebook is trying to throttle that now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, especially as traffic, or at least the popularity of the platform, um, certain age groups anyway, seems to be diminishing. It'll be interesting to see how, kind of what the next platform is. I mean, there's conversation about TikTok, but we all know that that's geared toward a younger crowd and sure that's an up and coming up and coming potential client but in the meantime you know what what is the next platform you talked about Gary Vaynerchuk earlier and and one of the, the themes and and the things uh, the variety of things that he says uh, has to do with just simple awareness of what platforms are most popular making sure that you are and not just most popular now but seem to be coming up and going to those platforms taking advantage of them while they aren't this behemoth like Facebook has become and leveraging those platforms uh, as a marketing platform. I, I don't know what the next thing is uh, aside from, from TikTok. He, he says that LinkedIn is, a, is another popular platform. Of course, that depends on your business model. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this all, all kind of plays out. You mentioned two key ideas though around the marketing effort. One is authenticity. And you know this is a word that I, I think in some ways has been overused to the point that it kind of feels cliche. But when I think about authenticity, in fact, I was just having a conversation. Uh, I just have a small marketing team at, at Photographer's Edit, my new company, Milu, and, and the Boca Podcast. And we were having a meeting on Tuesday, and I was I was talking to Mara, who runs is, is working on our Milu project right now, about how to to bring a certain tone of voice uh, to a video uh, when she's creating video content, or maybe even just audio content. And what I was telling her, and this is what I do for me personally, is to I actually put myself in in touch, in tune with the idea that I'm trying to communicate. I make it very personal for me so that the emotion and the tone of voice that I'm communicating that's coming across, that that it is coming from a real personal place. The idea is very personal to me. And I think it matters. It comes across in an expression. If, if you're shooting video, it comes across in the tone of your voice. So when I think about authenticity, that's something that comes to mind. Um, and then clarity, to our earlier conversation, it's a noisy world if we're, if we're so, if we aren't clear about what it is that we're trying to, number one, who we're communicating to, you alluded to that, Jason, the target market, uh, but then what it is that we are trying to communicate to them, there's going to be a tendency to be wordy. And so it's really, really, really important, especially when people are just seeing endless amounts of content on a daily basis, that we have a very clear message that isn't difficult to follow, that doesn't have to be read into in order to effectively convert a client. Yeah, so I'll I'll add to that, and I don't know if you were going to get to this, but like some of the things that I learned from uh, along those lines in working with photographers uh, and all these wonderful 
creative people over the years, and and I'm I, I fall in the same category. As creative people, we are never lost for an idea ever. Hmm. It, to me, like and working in in the corporate world, we would go into an office and they'd be like, "We need some ideas for marketing," and I'd be like, "Just you know, vomiting ideas at them." You know, like yeah. I get a lot of no's, and I'm just like, "I'll just keep coming up with ideas," but. I think as as creative people, like ideas are wonderful things, and and then we we have a gift that we can come up with ideas. Man, we stink at execution, and that's it's the photographers who have the great ideas that execute are the ones who succeed. And that again, so cliche, but that clarity comes from coming up with the great idea, then gaining clarity how you want to how you want to get that idea out there, but then everything falls away. Clarity is about everything falling away once you understand what it is that you want to market or the idea that you have. And quite often we come up with these great ideas that really just create more noise. Um, But when you can find something where you can take that idea and then decide exactly what you want and everything else falls away. You know, for example, my family photography business, sure, I could shoot weddings or I could this time of year, I could shoot in the studio, but I'm not going to do any of that. Um, that's a really broad way to look at it. But, you know, just taking those ideas and that one marketing idea and just sticking with that idea, never deviating. Well, I mean, you talked about photographing families at landmarks. So now you're going to be more specific and then in- including that idea of simplicity in the experience again, you're filtering in a different way. I, I, these are, these are, I think, wonderful examples for our listeners of how we were talking about, again, the, the significance of a brand position, going back to the first point in our conversation, is doing exactly what Jason just talking about, filtering out anything that is irrelevant to one primary idea. Yes, there are a lot of options out there, and it's fun to think about all the options and even try some of them. But at the end of the day, you're going to get lost in the mix if you aren't specific, A, and you're not clear then in communicating the specificity of your brand and your brand position. It's really important to, to be able to do that. So uh, I know we could spend probably another couple of episodes talking about those those topics there. But <laughs> I, I mean, we were talking about perspective earlier, and I really appreciate your perspective. And, and let's get to just some practical lessons that you've learned that you feel like photographers uh, should pay closer attention to. Because again, I, when I think about you, Jason, as not only a photographer for so long, um, and, and I mean, we've had endless conversations over the years. One of the things that I appreciate about you is um, you have a tendency of kind of just calling things as you see them. And, and sometimes <laughs> that can come across as, as really direct or blunt, but I think we need more of that um, more often. With that kind of perspective as a photographer, all the experience that you had interacting with photographers, being a photographer, running a studio, running businesses, um, but then taking it to another level and going to WPPI and then st- taking a step back from being a, an active full-time photographer and being able to look at the industry as a whole you have to have seen some things that were maybe aha moments for yourself or you see a, a, a tendency or a trend or a theme, a behavioral pattern of photographers that ultimately was hurting them. Uh, I'm just really curious to get some of this perspective. So if you don't mind, and again, I want to kind of let you take the floor here. Will you share a few ideas, maybe even like five of the most important lessons or principles that you've learned from your experience in the industry so far? Sure. So, I mean, one of the biggest things 
was walking away from being a photographer. So I have perspective on not shooting for almost seven years. So I can tell you that when I wasn't shooting, like I literally went from like shooting, you know, 15, 20 weddings to zero. Um, And it was, it was really jarring. That's not, that's not true. I shoot a few, shot a few weddings while I started my first year at WPPI, but it was, it was, it was really jarring because I didn't have any day to day. Like I handed that off to, to my studio manager and then another guy who they wound up buying the business from me. But anyway, so as a photographer and working with lots of photographers and watching photographers grow up in the industry in general, photographers get into it because they love photography and they uh, tend to easily make it about themselves. Hmm. It's just who we are. We're, we're, we're creative people. We want to create the best art, but uh, number one, understanding how important your job is and just be an adult. Like it, it is, it is every picture that we take for somebody else is going to be an important picture. And I have perspective on that as a WPPI person. And as an older person, hmm. looking back at photos of myself, you saw the picture I posted of myself on Facebook yesterday was from 2007. It feels like yesterday to me, but man, I look a lot older and I look at it and it's friends of mine that I've been friends with for a long time. And they're really important people to me. It's just a snapshot, but every picture that we get paid to do, even if we're not getting paid, we're asked to do that ask is important. And remember how important that is. And when, when you talk about being adult in conjunction with that idea, can you explain a little bit about what you mean? Don't be a creative brat. Like, you know, um, again, being direct, like sometimes instead of taking the picture that the client wants, we steer them in the direction of doing something else or just say, I don't want to do that. Or oh, I wish I could come up with like a better example than that. But we kind of let like, like our ego drive the way that yes, we're engaging ego. with the client. Don't let our, yeah, yeah. Don't let the ego drive. Being an adult is really, don't, don't let your ego get in the way. Huh. Okay. As, as, a wedding photographer, but even as a family photographer, like looking back at my photos from 10, 15 years ago, the images that I see my clients, my friends that, you know, uh, are on Facebook, they always will post the moments versus the great portrait. So shoot for the moments. And those are the most, the moments are always the most poignant. And if you can get a great moment, it doesn't matter about the quality of the actual image, whether the lighting was great or not is, is being present for those moments. And it's always in my images. And, and I don't want to use the word, you know, be great PJ person, be great photojournalist. I'm not saying that like shooting and making sure that those moments are shot that they're so important. And, and those people get older uh, and especially older, uh, older adults, like grandparents or parents, those photos are they're, they're, they're so important. Yeah. So I, I always kind of remind photographers about that. Well, and, and you, you talk about the the fact that that picture doesn't have to be absolutely perfect. And I, I mean, I think about as a professional photographer, as an editing company owner. Um, and I look at the, you know, the pictures that I have in my refrigerator of me with my kids or with my friends or my girlfriend or whoever. And I, it's not that the picture is perfectly sharp. Uh, it's not that the picture is perfectly lit or that the color is absolutely perfect. It's just that I've got that picture of me with them in that particular moment. And maybe it, it kind of takes me back to whatever was happening at the time. That's, that's the stuff that matters. And, and I'm, and again, yep. I'm a, I'm a professional, like I'm the one that should be uber critical of that stuff. And I, I just don't care. Uh, yep. and, and I think, so to your point, I think it's important to, to, 
set our, our ego aside and remember that ultimately it is capturing the moment, that in-between moment for the sake, for the client, understanding the impact that that can have in the long run for that client or for those clients to be able to look back at those moments. is It's so, so important. So uh, understanding when it ties into your first point, understand how important your job is. And by the way, be adult uh, about it. Yes. I love that. And then number two, shoot for the moments. What's another idea? Well, so just one one quick example that I just remembered. So like yeah. shooting for those moments, we I had one client who wanted to do their their portraits in, in Central Park, and which was fine. And at the end, she says, I want to go get a hot dog and I want the groomsmen all, all eating a hot dog. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm just like, oh, okay. And yeah. I'm like, that sounds great. So let's go <laughs> find a hot dog great. vendor. Yeah. You know, and, and I took, and, and instead of just, you know, taking a, like a cliche shot, the guys eating a hot dog, which I did, that's what she wanted. I took some really candid moments of them enjoying the hot dogs. And then they're such, they're such great pictures. They're fun. Hmm. It's, and they're wearing kilts, by the way, they're, they're wearing kilts, awesome. eating a hot dog. And like one of the guys has this giant smile on his face with an entire chunk of hot dog in his mouth <laughs> and mustard on the side. Yeah. And it's a great photo. Like it makes me laugh. And, you know, so like I did the picture that they wanted, but then I, I allowed my ego to take a better picture. So like, you know, shooting for those moments, but then, you know, then you can get creative on it. And when you kind of challenge yourself like that, that's when, you know, you really separate yourself. So anyway, moving on from that, a business plan every single year. Um, I can't, I can't stress it enough. Just, it doesn't have to be a formal business plan. Just, just run the numbers. Look, if you have an accountant, your accountant is setting up your QuickBooks, yeah. look at it. Yeah. Just look at it. Just spend some time going through all the crap that you spent last year and you know, devise a plan to not spend so much money on that crap. And how am I going to make a little bit more money and, and write it down and, 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 and execute it? That's where I'm talking about the, the execution is let's have a great idea to make, I'm going to shoot 10 more weddings next year. Okay. How are we going to shoot 10 more weddings next year? And I feel like, again, distractions in our, in our business really take us away from it, whether it be getting involved in the community and teaching can be a distraction to, you know, just, just random stuff. So like make sure that you're, you're staying focused on the business that's making you money and, and, and focus on that. I mean, this speaks back to the point that you made earlier, which is the significance of planning. And and I know, I mean, I'll speak from personal experience, certainly wasn't, uh, and it, I was going to say it wasn't a strength and it's still something that I have to work on. But I know that many photographers, you know, they may consider themselves the artist type and they can be creative, like you're saying, endlessly creative. But when it comes to this idea of, I mean, even the phrase business plan probably stresses people out, right? And then what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how long is it going to take? And then QuickBooks, oh my word, and, and numbers, I don't know how to look at the numbers. I, I love the way in which you just explain that because what you're suggesting is a process that isn't overly complicated. Look at the numbers in QuickBooks, look how much money you're spending and where, look at how much money you're making and where that's coming from and figure out how you can add to that or build on that. Write down what it is you want to accomplish and, and the few next actions that will enable you to begin to accomplish that goal for the year. I mean, th these are simple things. How long would you say it, it should take somebody to, to go through that process leading up to the new year? 
Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because it's typically this time of year, as we talked before we jumped on on this, that week between Christmas and New Year's that nothing is getting done is usually when I would do stuff like that. That's the <laughs> week that I'm like, let me clean off my desktop and yeah. oh, there's my QuickBooks uh, thing for my accountant. Let me take a look at that. And then I'll make some notes and and decide. And I think, you know, as 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 photographers, this time of year is, is oh man, it, it's always been a tough time of year in general, because unless you live in a really warm place where people are coming to get married, like let's say Mexico, but even, even, even there, like this, this upcoming late December, January, February, it it can be a really challenging time because we're not making any money. And so I always tried to take advantage of that time to make sure that I did as much self-help as I possibly could, which is, you know, a, a new business plan for the year, you know, whatever it may be so that like I'm ready to go when it comes time to start shooting again in the spring. And, you know, again, it's focusing on that. And I've had a lot of years to kind of tweak this a little bit. And, and, you know, one of the last things that I'll say along those lines is that, you know, learning from your mistakes each year and not dwelling on the things that you do wrong, move on quickly, man, I've made some really expensive mistakes (laughs) over the years. And it is so easy to fall down a rabbit hole. Um, If anybody's listening to this and they just realize they spent a lot of money on the wrong camera system or this or that, like you got to just figure out how to move on from it and, and recover quickly, fail quickly and recover and 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 move on um, because it'll eat you alive and and it and it has for me hmm. um, and 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 even even right now like I'm rediscovering my entire career right now and uh, I, I'm just being totally honest with you it has been the most challenging year of my entire life really I've never had a year where I didn't have so much work to do I didn't know what to do with it hmm. like I've had so much free time. That I don't. I've never been unemployed. I've never been um, without a career. I've never been at a point where you know I would make a phone call and I would just have more work. Yeah. Whether I was creating it myself or not, and it has been a tough, tough year, and it's been a lot of self reflection, and I've been angry, and like I've I've followed, I've gone through all the grieving. Hmm. Um, even to the point where like I started, I started making phone calls to people. I felt like I wasn't nice to over the years just to get that behind me. Wow. And, you know, I'm 50 years old and I'm starting all over again. And I've been very, very candid about it. Like, because I can't be the only person out there, you know, that's going through this at my age, it's been hard. And, you know, I have to fall back on, um, the fact that, you know, I've had a wonderful career with a lot of great contacts with people, and I'm going to use that to start whatever it is the next thing that I'm going to do that I can't talk about. <laughs> and but it took me it took me almost a year to get to that point. Um, and again, you know, for me, it's I really just needed to sit down and say, what is it that you want to do? Because you know, I have a diverse career of experience to draw off of whether like Liz, my, my wife came down and I was like applying for a job at like a drug company, like a marketing position. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm applying for jobs. <laughs> she's <laughs> like, she's like, you don't want to do that. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I know you really don't. And she's like, why are you doing this? So my wife is my, my, my best partner and That's is cool. definitely in my, my best advisor. And she's definitely, you think I'm blunt? 
Nathan, you, she she's definitely my most blunt advocate. But you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it kind of yes, it kind of got, and we just celebrated our twentieth anniversary. Oh, so that's incredible! Um, Congratulations. That's the best. Thank you. That's the best part of, of of this year. We've we've gone through some personal stuff too. That's it's been hard. So oh, uh, you know, there's a lot of people like I'm looking forward to maybe doing this podcast with you in two years to show you what I've done. But literally starting from a little bit from the bottom, yeah. and it took me to the point of just saying, okay this is what you want to do. And, you know, I love this community so much and I love being part of it. And it took me a long time to just say, you know what, you have to decide what you're, what the things that you can do that you can offer and, and put it together. And that's what I'm working on now. And it's taken a long time, man. It has been a tough year. Wow. But I mean, you, you speak to the significance of a business plan, but maybe even more important, uh, or actually not even more important. It's innate to the process of a business plan. And then ultimately what you've, you're describing, you've gone through this year there's a, ref- a process of reflection. So you're looking mm-hmm. back over a certain time frame. You are acknowledging th- all things, good and bad. And of course, I mean, just to get a little geeky, the, the data that comes from something like QuickBooks enables us to do that on a very intelligent level. But then there's a certain amount of, uh, as you were talking about self-reflection, which is I've, I've experienced these feelings as a result of these experiences. And, and here's where I can improve in this area. And here these are the things that I can kind of put behind me and move forward, learning, ultimately learning from our mistakes, but not fixating on them. I think the distinction between those two things or those two ideas is is so, so important because it is so easy. I mean, we live in such a, like a cushy culture that it's, that we have the time to sit around and fixate and man, that just, it has a tendency of eating us up. I know personally that I've, I've spent, I mean, at, at times years fixating on certain things to, to the extent that it's held me back as an individual, as a business owner. And, um, I, and so I'm in this with you, Jason, because I'm, I'm trying to also do exactly what you're talking about, which is to, to be proactive, to move forward. It's, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging those things, those areas where we've fallen short, but ultimately it's about how we move forward and, and learn from them and take those lessons and apply it and enable us to move forward. I think that's so important. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. And again, it's, it's, you know, I have the fortunate, you know, ability to have, you know, several, you know, a lot of years behind me, but, you know, it, it, that being said, you know, being, you know, 50 years old, you know, there's an age, you know, thing that's happening for me now, you know, with work as well. So starting a business over again at, at where I'm at, I don't have a lot of years to, you know, I don't have a big runway, but, you know, like the photography business, it's, been a lot easier the second time yeah. launching it versus just starting over again. So, you know, and again, I, I, I try not to dwell on it, but, you know, I spent way too much time being angry about my situation than, than kind of moving on. But mm. there are things, and, and I will share this with people, there are things that are completely out of our control. And in my situation, it was. And, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we find ourselves in bad positions. It's what we do with it that's going to make the difference. And that's where I'm at right now. hundred percent. But I, you summed that up beautifully too. Well, I mean, so speaking of learning from experience, then you spoke to the significance of understanding how important our job is. Secondly, shooting for the moments, uh, making sure that you actively develop a business plan every year. Do you have a couple of ide- other ideas you can share from your experience? No, I, I think we, we covered it. That sums uh, it up. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that sums it up. 
you know, I, I, again, like as creative people, I don't know when you'll air this, but like, you know, you, you need reflection time. You need time to recharge. Again, I'm a community person. So sometimes you just need to be around other people to help you you know, move forward. I just flew up to my friend Matthew Kemet Mueller's first Christmas party in Minnesota um, just because I needed an evening with some photographer friends who understand me. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's that's one extra thing. Sometimes you just need to be around your friends. And, you know, and again, it, for me, it's about being in the community. So find your community and, and be part of it, be active, be useful. As a community leader, I could tell you that from the WPI perspective, there were lots of people who wanted things from me, but I was so much more happy to help them when they were useful to me in some way. And it's not that hard to be useful. Hmm. I mean, speak to, to the idea of community too. I mean, you, you made the effort to f- get on a plane. We're not talking about driving 20 minutes across town to go grab coffee. You got on a plane and you went to a party in order to connect with a group of people. Something that has been, that I've observed over the last couple of years in particular is a, a seeming lack of willingness or effort on the part of photographers to actually make the effort to get up, get outside their office or their house and go connect with somebody else in person. Have you observed that as well? And what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, being in the trade show world in general, it's definitely been a tougher push to get people to to show up at events. I don't. I have a difficult time understanding why that is. You know, I think a lot of it is just generational. You know, I'm a Gen Xer, and I grew up on trade shows, and and so they're they're something that I kind of grew up with. There's so much more connectivity available to us via video chats and FaceTime, and you know, we can get a lot of that stuff without leaving our house. Yeah. So it's convenient. You know, you really got to work hard to get on a plane and, and you have <laughs> to plan yeah. to, to book a flight. And, you know, you know, he was kind of joking with me. He's like, I'm having my Christmas party. You should come. And I got off the phone with him and, and, and looked on Delta and saw a really cheap flight and I just booked it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. if I don't go, I'll just, you know, I'll, it's, you know, it's $125. I don't, I don't care. That's fine. So I don't think it's a money thing, which is weird to me. It's like, it's not a money thing. And you see people will use that excuse a lot. Like, why am I not getting on? You know, why are they, they'll say, well, you know, I have to go. It stays away from my work and this and that. And I'm like, but it's it's not a money. It's cheaper to travel now than it ever has been, in my opinion. So I don't I don't know what that answer is. I think I think it's the unknown more than anything else. Because you know I would find that in any conference, if they came for the first time, they'll come back every year hmm. for the most part, unless they have a bad experience. Well, but you know I'm I'm even thinking about because I remember reading in a Facebook thread a photographer saying that they were wanting to meet to go to this photographer get together they were they were wishing that the photographer get together would happen closer to the house because it, it the the get together was 20 minutes from their house they'd have to drive 20 minutes to go to this get together 25 <laughs> minutes and and that seems to be i know that's not everyone and not everybody is saying those kinds of things behaving that way but it seems as though it is, I think you use the word convenient. I think that's probably the best word to describe this. It's, it's a matter of convenience. Photographers, because they can jump on Facebook or do a video chat or you know get on uh, FaceTime, whatever it is, they, it's convenient for them to just stay at home. They don't have to make the effort. But I, I feel like there's a significant component of human interaction that's missed out on when you don't actually go and meet in person, whether that's a conference or a workshop or just for coffee with somebody, and we all need it so desperately. It just seems as though that needs to be a bit more of a priority. I mean, maybe it just it just 
needs to be something of a, we just need to be more active about telling people they need to get out of their house. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll certainly, we'll certainly maintain that theme here in the podcast. We've talked about it before. I have one last question before um, I let you go. And I really appreciate you making time for all of us, but you mentioned, you alluded to something just kind of in passing earlier, it caught my attention and you spoke to the reality, which is that teaching as a photographer isn't necessarily, uh, and maybe I was reading between the lines here, but isn't necessarily something that is going to make your career explode. I've seen, in fact, I, I was guilty of this very thing, 10, I don't know, probably maybe even longer, 10, 12 years ago, there was a desire on my part and my business partner's part to, to speak, to want to speak at industry events. And I, I think naively at the time, anyway, a lot of the motivation there was just kind of notoriety. You know, we feel some kind of significance by being up on stage and get to speak at this conference or that trade show or this thing. And it felt really good. We weren't really thinking about the fact that putting all this time and effort and energy into doing that was in no way going to actually benefit our photography business. Despite that, it has become quite the trend now for photographers to start workshops, to launch educational courses. And I wonder if you can just speak again, just from your yeah. years of experience as a photographer and then kind of from the top down with WPPI, does, what are your thoughts on this? Does this make actually make sense for most photographers? Is there actual benefit there? I mean, we're fortunate to be in an industry that loves to share so much. I mean, and, and, and I can tell you this, photographers in general are, the, in my opinion, more giving than, than any other. And that, that includes filmmakers and, mm. and I'm going to get beat up about it, but <laughs> you know, I've had, I've had, you know, the opportunity on the song freedom side, I work with a lot of filmmakers because it's music and, and, you know, there are some really wonderful people in that space too, but they're generally can be a little bit guarded. So we work in a space that, that, you know, willing to give up a lot of information for nothing, which is amazing. It's one of the things that makes our community so that's why I love photographers so much. It's just, just, just great people, and, mm. and even filmmakers too. Great people, but it, it, it. There's something about our personalities because I think we love to perform. Yeah. And photography, especially if you're a wedding photographer, is definitely you're a little bit of a performer as well because you, you interact with more people at a wedding than than anyone else at the wedding, including the bride and groom, and. Mm. You are a performer there. So I think it's in our personalities that we enjoy being around a lot of people and, and, and we love the notoriety and definitely is a trend of people to want to teach. And, 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 and I think part of it is because they love, there's a couple things. Number one, they love going to trade shows and small conferences. They love being part of that. Mm -hmm. And this is a way for them to be part of it without having to pay for it, right? If they're giving to this community, then they, they generally either come for free or at least part of their trip is, is planned, right? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that that's one of the reasons that they do it. And then, you know, there's definitely, a, a, there's a, it's a drug. Like it's, it's, you know, being on stage and being in front of people and, and it, it definitely feeds your ego uh, quite a bit. And, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's wonderful. What I've seen too often is the distraction that this industry can provide mm. in that once you gain a little bit of notoriety and we're all looking for the next person who can, who can give us something new, you know, there's so many places to go and speak at, whether it be WPPI, PPA, all the PPA chapters, the smaller conferences, each one is unique in, in and of itself. They're like, they're like high school cliques. You have, like, <laughs> you have like the jocks, you have yeah. like the burnouts, 
you yeah. have you have you know all of those different you could name any conference and it would it would provide that kind of in 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 a, in a very broad stroke way right right and you can and 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 by the way if you're a photographer looking you should totally vibe with one of those and find it and go to that but i i think that it could be once you start getting calls you know i have a good friend of mine who i talk to on a regular basis and she's starting to get popular and i'm constantly you know reminding her that she runs a super successful business and that she makes so much more money than she does speaking and the distraction yep. will at some point affect her bottom line and every year i remind her as her sales go up and her speaking engagements i said there's a breaking point between the two of them you know that at some point you're going to wind up with so many speaking engagements that it's going to affect your business and the next year you're going to turn around and you're going to be like oh my god i lost $20,000 or $30,000 or $100,000 in, and it's never, it never correlates. It never, ever, um, never, you never make the hundred thousand over there speaking or very few will wind up making. And, and, and it's not just the conferences themselves is that, you know, as an influencer, as you become an influencer, you start getting wonderful attention from other vendors in our industry, whether it's sure. Canon or Nikon or Sony, or, you know, you start getting, Maybe you're getting some free stuff. Maybe you're getting some money from those sponsors. And what I always try and remind those people, and I got to work with a lot of different people at WPPI, is that you know it's not just a free trinket or camera. They're going to want something in return. And hmm. I guarantee you what they want in return is going to cost more than if they had to pay for it. Interesting. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But sure. I always, in anyone that I mentored over the years um, in, in those situations, especially people with super duper successful businesses, is that, God, watch that distraction. It happened in my own business before it was at WPPI. You know, I taught a lot of lighting and stuff like that. And, and it definitely affected me as well. So I, I, I'm, I'm one of those people. I'm, nobody's, everyone's going to hear this. And if you're a younger person, you'll be like, this old man is just being grumpy and telling me not to do something I want to do. <laughs> you're not going to listen to me. And that's totally cool. I get it. But maybe just have that in the back of your head, that grandpa is telling you, <laughs> just watch the bottom line, watch the bottom line kids. Yeah. And, um, and, 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 and I'm not telling you not to speak at a show. I'm just saying when it becomes more than five or 10, check yourself on that and and really really make sure it's important well you use the word distraction and and i think that that is really a great word in this in the context of this conversation because you know, we talk about something that actually has kind of been a theme in our conversation today jason we talk about here on the podcast i allude to it or i call it a big picture view right so there's this overarching perspective or view that you have on your life with certain long-term goals that you want to accomplish personally. And then your business model should be dictated by those goals. And then of course the business model dictates the, the clients that we're going after, the type of photography that we do, the prices we're charging, and ultimately how we're spending our time. And so if we've taken the time to establish that big that so-called big picture view, then we know if something like speaking at a conference you know, whether it's once a year or 10 times a year, is a distraction from reaching our goals. We're able to do exactly what you were talking about earlier, which is to filter out what isn't relevant. And so I would encourage all of our listeners, I mean, even as Jason is saying, there's nothing wrong with speaking at conferences or doing workshops or coming up with courses, but if it distracts from your goal um, or your set of goals that you've, you've established for yourself, then at least take a step back and reconsider for a second. Uh, because you know, just because the, the the popular 
people, I put in air quotes, um, are doing the conferences, they're do- doing the trade shows, and it looks really cool to see them up there. It doesn't necessarily mean that what they are doing fits your life model and your business model. Understand that. Be clear about what it is that you want, and you'll be able to filter out the distractions. So I, I love the advice, Jason, and I, I really appreciate you making time to share all the advice that you have today. We just kind of finish our conversation off by sharing with our listeners where they can find you online, follow you online. So jasongroup.com with two Ps, like a group of people with two Ps is where my family photography business is right now. There will be something coming soon that will be on thejasongroup.com. Um, and I'm excited to share that hopefully in the next couple of months, that's where you can follow me. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Instagram is at Jason group two piece. Awesome. We will. And and maybe we can uh, bring you back on and highlight the the secret project, the upcoming project, um, in the next few months as well. But for everybody listening in, we'll put all of these links, the resources, the talking points from today's conversation in the show notes. You can go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H or jump to the show notes in your podcast app and reference those. It is a wealth of information, not only from this episode, but previous episodes. Uh, Haley does just an incredible job putting that together. So take advantage. And uh, thanks once again, Jason, for making time for all of us. Yeah, thanks, Haley. We've never met, but uh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, talk to you all soon. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu. M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.